Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Two for One podcast brought to you by Anchor and In the Lane, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast. Sean, we are super wrong last week. That was not our ninth episode. That was our 10th episode. And just like the ice cubes in the cup, we are now rounded out. I guess because you can add one plus one and the 11 equals a two or because the numbers are both the same. I was talking about last week's episode being 10. You just reminded me that this is an odd number. But yes, one plus one is two. We're good. I'm back. Everything's right, fine. I saw red for about three seconds. All right. Hopefully it's not throwing you off the, uh, I'm glad this is not a visual medium. Uh, I do have my 76ers camp coaching polo on and I apologize for that. And I will do some like our fathers with Pat Riley sometime later today. <laughs> uh, it was a visual jump scare that I got when you popped on the zoom call. However, I will show you this. I know it's still not visual, but look, uh, Jim VP, Jim VP shirt <laughs> all day at camp today. So it didn't touch my skin. All right. That's more uh, uh, merchandise marketing than we've done at Five Reasons. Make sure to buy your Jim VP shirts at fivereasons.com. <laughs> so I saw red, but Heat Twitter saw a lot of red too, specifically involving Portland red and Damian Lillard. Yo, it's it's the most fun part of the offseason. I don't know if it's like this for every fan base, but if someone even relatively becomes available at any point during the offseason, we already have the jersey as it, at its done and it is time. It is we are all on it. We are digging up Dame Lillard tweets from 2019 where he commented that the Heat were playing well in a whatever game, you know, like it's crazy. I don't know how people do that, but he's a top 10 player. I mean, if you can get in the running for him, there's no doubt you try to do it. I just don't know if we have the assets to do it. What do you think? So there's there's a few trades that pop out there. Um, one of them doesn't involve one of our two main core pieces, and that it's, that package will never net you Lillard. And the other involves Bam and a bunch of first-round picks as well with Tyler Hero. At first, I do kind of – I know you just asked me some, but I want to cop out because we haven't talked about this at all, and I've kind of been real loud on Twitter about it. But So let's start with this. Okay. Let's start with – the scenarios that do not involve Bam. Anything else besides, let's say, without Jimmy or Bam. Any we're other scenario. We're immediately outbid. I mean, why would they ever consider just a Tyler Hero or a Tyler Hero Duncan package? And I agree wholeheartedly because, you know, the Duncan thing, yes, we can use him to sign and trade, but you cannot package him with anybody else. So no. to sign and trade, you can't use his number of, let's say, 18, 20, 24, whatever it is, to get to the number that Damian Lillard is, which is big money. And when you're thinking about that, again, like you said, other teams are going to outbid us. They just have more trade assets, whether it's players, draft picks. I mean, it's just Specifically, not the Knicks have six movable first-round picks, yes. and the 76ers have four with Ben Simmons. It, it just does not – it's not reality. Uh, I mean, that's just the truth of it is – when you're not talking about our big two guys, you're not getting in the conversation. You're not getting in the room. And, and that's where I, I brought up that I think we would be more realistically looking at the other pieces, the CJ McCollum's, the Robert Covington's, the, you know, whoever else on the roster, um, that would be where we would go. If you're not willing to trade Jimmy or Bam, do you want to, before we move into the Jimmy and Bam stuff, do you want to say anything else about that scenario? I, if that scenario happens, I pray goes to the Knicks. Like that, that's the place I'd really like him to go. Just keep him out of our division and keep the Sixers bad. Yeah. And, and locally what I've heard here is 
them talking about Ben Simmons, Thibault, and Maxi being sort of the core of a package, probably involving some picks too. Um, I don't, you know what, if I'm Portland, I don't know if that's enough. I just, and I think Ben Simmons has more value than some people believe right now. It's it's less than the Harden trade, right? Or like, I guess it depends on what you put Ben Simmons value at, but it, right now it's really low. So it kind of feels less than what the Harden trade was. You know, and, and if you're Portland, you're trading Damian Lillard, you're not trading him to continue to win games. It has to be, you know, that's the first move. And then everything else is getting torn down after that. Like mm-hmm. that's the demolition ball hitting the, the building. And then you're tearing down the building after that. You're not throwing a demolition ball into your skyscraper and then just build, you know, rebuilding, putting up windows around it. Like you have to tear it down and build it back up. And that's why I think we could get involved with the other pieces that, you know, why would you want Robert Covington if you're not winning games, you're getting rid of Damian Lillard. He would be a great piece for us or, or a lot of win teams, but I'm with you there. I just don't think there's any way, even if what if Dame said, I want to go to Miami. That changes the scenario a little bit, but if you're Portland, do you have to do that? No, they don't. They don't. I mean, I figured that they probably would really, really consider it just because of how loyal he's been. And Portland doesn't feel like a franchise that would just spurn that player, but like that, it, our package is so even with all right let's switch it into the bam stuff so even with bam it's just not as heavy we're offering them nothing as far as picks goes when you blow up a team and you have a franchise foundational player in place and you still blow it up you have to have a plan afterwards there has to be something in mind that you're trying to do okc has some kind of structured plan with these picks they just don't have 37 first round picks and rights to my car for no reason. Like there's something they're going to do with it and they're going to build a certain type of way. Maybe they don't know each individual piece, but Portland can't do that with just Bam. I mean, Bam's one of the better players in the league. You're going to be too good. Like you're actually going to be too good. And that's what I, you know, that was my point is when you, when you trade Dame, you're not trying to win. And if you're trading for Bam, I, I don't see how you can have Bam and then blow up the other pieces and then be in a tank. Like he's young enough that I guess it makes sense, but at the same time, like he just doesn't he doesn't seem like the guy that would want to go through that. Like you said, you know, Oklahoma City when they traded Paul George, um, when they traded Russell Westbrook, they have a plan. It's too early to really in, um, analyze what Houston has done with James Harden. I'm trying to think of some other examples of trading i mean you know technically when we got the big three together lebron james came via trade Mm -hmm. and what did they get out of that a bunch of picks but i i mean at least in the front of my brain i don't remember anything that came out of that those picks really didn't turn into anything i don't think the Kyrie was their pick that they got for sucking right nothing from us that nothing from us yeah and you know there's not a lot of examples of this that's why it's probably also hard to think of this you know, that, that stars are demanding trades out when they have more than just an expiring contract. When you get to the expiring contract part, you start to see that more, but he has, I think, four years left on his contract or three more years after this year, I think. Yeah, three three more, I think, after this year. Um, and I'm not sure if that last one's an option, but he got the Supermax. So whatever the CBA re, uh, deal in the Supermax is, if yeah. that ends with a player option, then that as well. 
and I agree with your point before about they're going to do him right. I mean, I, I, he's he's done everything for Portland. He's a great guy in the Portland community. He's not going to get traded to Cleveland for I don't even know what they would trade. You know, <laughs> the entire city, fifteen draft picks. And yeah, it would be it would be Cedar a bunch point. of yeah a bunch of draft picks. Kevin Love and Cedar Point. <laughs> the rights to the Indians and. Um, that doesn't uh, even get you in the room. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, speaking of, of Cleveland, I guess, as we transition out of Dame, there's another guard that may be available, and that's Colin Sexton. So maybe a more realistic path here. What do you think? Because that one's not going to cost you BAM, certainly. So now we're talking other pieces. What do you see in terms of that type of trade for the Heat? Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking about Nick Chubb playing on the Miami Heat now. Because we're talking about Cleveland, you could if you could teach him to handle a little bit, he could basically do what Giannis does—just a little hesitation, hesitation, put your head down, and just slam through everybody. All right, now I'm scared. Probably shoots free, and he probably shoots free throws better. He, way better. Has to. Has to. All right. So, uh, Colin Sexton would be uh, Tyler Hero amalgamation, and then it would probably require something else because Sexton's a little more established. And he's been a little more consistent and has a. Uh, plottable trajectory, right? He has length and intangibles that say that he's going to be in the league for a long time. And some of that stuff with Tyler is more um, dog-based, right? Like he's a grinder. So mm-hmm. you're, you're probably going to need another piece as well. And I see people floating Precious. I see people floating a second. Um, I think the most logical one's Precious and Tyler because you're getting two young assets that can be very moldable. Uh, it still fits Cleveland's timeline. I guess the question becomes... Uh, do you do that? And and what does that look like with the Lowry uh, acquisition that you know we hope happens? So let me ask this: if if Cleveland was willing to do just Tyler for Colin Sexton, okay, in this imaginary world, would you do that? If you're Miami, no. no. So you would no to a Tyler Hero for Colin Sexton trade? Yeah, and I would know it because I want Tyler and Duncan back on the team under contract so we actually have two movable assets going into the deadline because all these teams that are that have stars on them right now are going to have a like a full season to evaluate their roster and they're going to make decisions about whether they're competing or not and i want to be in a position to make a play for someone at the deadline and also figure out what we have in in these assets tyler's stock can't get any lower i I couldn't imagine i mean he can get injured i guess but yeah. as a player, it can't get any lower. And Duncan's stock is always going to be high, like regardless of what salary number is or whatever. He's just a shooter. And that's that's the big piece. If we can acquire Lowry and get Duncan and Tyler back under contract, then we have we can see how competitive we are with those guys and what we need to fill out and at the deadline make that trade. But if we can't get Lowry, I need a point of attack defensive guard. I, I might consider it then. Uh, two things. So the Kyle Lowry piece is obviously completely independent of all of these things. Yes. In a, in, a, in a way, it seems like there are a couple of things that are going to be sort of the kickoff event of our offseason. One, which happens right before free agency starting, is we have to make decisions on our team options with Goron and Iggy. And the decision that we make there is probably going to tell you how we're operating as a team. And, and I will not um, try to imagine I'm a cap expert, but I know that by opting into those contracts, they are trying to use them as trade pieces. 
Um, it's probably not to keep them around. It, I think both of them, especially if we opt in with Iggy, um, because those are big numbers for guys that just can't live up to that type of number anymore. Um, if we opt out of either of them, then you're trying to open up space. Um, and I feel like that's a simplified version of what we're trying to do. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Colin Sexton is due for an extension after this season. He'll be a restricted free agent. Yes. So that in itself is a risk when you talk about Tyler, who has one more year in that window on a cost-controlled asset. Because if you're trading for, let's say you trade Tyler for Colin, and Colin wants whatever the number is, and I think it's going to be a high number because there's going to be interest in him. He is restricted, so you can match whatever you want. But if you're trading for Colin Sexton, you're trading him for him knowing that you are going to match or you are going to pay him a substantial amount of money next summer. You, you would agree with that? Yeah, in, in a sense, yeah. I, I do. Part of me also says that's next summer's problem. Yeah, and I agree. There, there's, there's definitely holes that need to be filled right now on our ship because if we wait to plug those holes till next summer, we are uh, – we're down on the reef somewhere. I don't know, underwater about 30,000 feet or something like that. It'd be terrible. So, you know, your point guard then is if it's Kyle Lowry, which a lot of people believe is it's almost fact. Now the way that we treat like, Oh, Kyle's coming. Yeah. And here in Philly, they believe it to be fact that he's coming to Philly because he's, you know, North Philly's son. And, and that's where he's you know coming home and he's going to fill the gap when Ben Simmons is traded. And, I'm sure there's other fan bases that think Kyle Lowry is coming there. So if we do not get Kyle Lowry, Colin Sexton's not your point guard, I don't think. I, I just, I don't see him as that point of attack defender or your initiator on offense. And so now, yes, Colin Sexton would help us as our two and it, and it moves some of the pieces around, but I still think you need a point guard. Well, he would be our initiator on offense, but he's he, we're going to have to structure the offense around the downhill guard. So, yeah, systematic changes in what we do, and I think that's okay. A lot of people would be okay with that. Pat, Pat Riley would be okay with that. Yeah. And Eric Spolstra has adjusted to his roster many times, and I would trust that he would do that. When we're talking about this trade, we've, we've said a lot about Tyler for Colin, and that's probably not very realistic. Like you mentioned before, there's probably going to be pieces coming from Miami. But I want to throw out two names that we both have talked about before that Cleveland has that could be attracted to us. One of them is um, Larry Nance Jr. Yep. And the other one is Kevin Love. What do you think about that type of deal where it's a Sexton Love or Sexton Nance type deal? And now we're, we're kind of, in a way, plugging two holes, not just one. Yeah, that's more acceptable to me. And the, the Kevin Love uh Sexton deal is really attractive. Um, but I think the only way you can get to Love's number, which is in the 30s, is Iggy plus Goron plus whatever the you know the attractive assets are besides those two expiring contracts. I don't think you can get to that number else. You can other, you can way. you can use Bird to sign Victor, which is 31 million. I think I forgot about that. That's that's another thing too, and uh, this is what pisses me off about talking off-season acquisitions this early, is we have no idea what the first domino is going to be, so we can't even plot out the other ones. So okay. I don't I don't want Colin Sexton mostly because I have a very firm belief that Lowry is going to be here. If he's not, now we're talking about a whole different thing because we don't have a three-level score. 
We don't have a guard defender. We don't have somebody that can get to the line. So all of a sudden, Colin Sexton and Kevin Love look pretty appropriate because between the two of them, they fit that. Yep. And, and you can't, you can't jump steps basically. Like you said, no. you know, it's, it's kind of in a way like um, the summer of when we got the big three together and they started making those trades of, you know, trading Beasley away for essentially nothing. If you didn't have those guys coming, you wouldn't have made those trades, but you had to make those trades to, in order to open up space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a different situation, but this is another st- scenario where I think there's, there's certainly a bulleted list. There's a priority list of who are we going after first? And if that person falls out, then we're going to this. And if that person, and to utilize our cap space correctly, which you know Andy and Pat are going to be great at this. They've, they've shown that over time that these guys that we have bird rights on, you don't want to sign them first because you want to save them until you use that space. You know, like Duncan's probably one of the last people to go if you're going to keep him, you know, just because of the way that you can use your money and maximize your money in that way. Talking salary is even more complicated because of that. And, but you're, you're so spot on with everything will be determined by Iggy and Goron. And I actually think there's a path for them to um, pick up Iggy's option and decline Goron to try and get him under contract. So if they feel like they want the team with Goron on it, they can decline his rights and then offer him a contract. Yeah. Um, while picking up some other guys' options. So it, it becomes difficult. The only thing that I am sure of is Nemanja Bialica is an unrestricted free agent and he's gone. He had no, he didn't he didn't have any good he had a good he game did. against us, if you remember that. I mean, I yeah, the, that his game. tryout, his tryout game, yeah. Yeah. So so it's weird because when we talk about Kevin Love and Colin Sexton, it's like there's other teams that just in that scenario, yes, but there's other teams that offer better two-man packages with those big numbers, too. The Kings are a really interesting squad because they have a lot of guys that we like, I think. Um, and so so does Memphis, although their salary cap numbers are a lot smaller. Like, I think the most money at Memphis is Balanchunas at, like, $14 million. Yeah. Um, the rest they've of them are in options. Yeah, they've done a great job of just building sort of, I don't want to call it their farm system for a baseball term, but it's basically that. I mean, mm-hmm. they have so many guards that you're like, you mentioned DeAnthony Melton earlier. I mean, he's a guy that you would love to have in Miami. Desmond Bain, uh, Grayson Allen even. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, obviously John Moran, but these other complementary pieces that those guys are like role players in Memphis, and we would look at them like, oh, man, that's a, that's an asset. So. It's interesting. There are so many options. And that's the one thing that you have to keep in mind as we're talking about this. The reason why it's so tricky is because we intelligently put our roster together and having the flexibility of, you know what, Goron and Iggy are expirings and Myers Leonard would have been in the same scenario. Mm -hmm. We can opt into them and use them as trade for expiring contracts for teams that want to get out of a contract. Or we can just opt out of that team option their money goes away. You can renounce their rights and free up that bird or the, the cap hits. And it's like, or cap holds, not cap hits. But, you know, we, we have so many different ways that we can maneuver through this. And right now it's very mysterious and, and nobody really has an idea, but it's going to be very exciting and very interesting come the beginning of August because there are a lot of routes. I think it'd be worse if we had one single route. We have to sign X. And if we don't, what are we doing now? So I'm, I feel like we're blessed that we're in the scenario in a way. And, and that's why I like keeping Tyler and Duncan under contract, especially to just start the season. Um, 
And because if something changes before the season goes and there's somebody who's available, we can still trade him. But I think the team should move in the mindset that they're going to sign both those guys, pick up Tyler's option and re-sign Duncan, and then figure out what you're doing with Andre and Goran. And at that point, you're probably a cap team now. And we can start thinking about signing trades and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And you know, that's the tough thing when you're, when you're engaging in these things on Twitter or other social media, me and me and Tony are not at caps cap experts either. We're not trying to paint that picture, but when you're having conversations with people that have very limited idea of the cap and you're trying to put scenarios in place and, and you're always, always kind of shaded for the heat. So like, yeah, I would love to trade Tyler hero as the main piece for Dame Lillard but Portland's going to hang the phone up and, and pull out the cord and not call you back anymore when you're throwing that at them. They're never going to take it. So you have to be realistic too when you're looking at this. And while it's fun to throw these hypothetical scenarios out like we're playing NBA 2K, we want to try to present it in a realistic way too. Um, you know, what's going to happen and not get our hopes up for Kawhi and Dame. And if we don't get one of those two guys, our offseason sucked because there's a lot of other ways we can improve this roster, you know, different routes like we talked about before. So we want to try our best not to be embarrassed, but if the Clippers win this series and you said that the Suns would win in five, I have free reign to tag you to every Clippers fan I know. Sure. I I embrace it. It's been a wild uh, run here. These this last week, we have seen two series turn. Um, it looked as if the Hawks had found some kind of offensive efficiency that came from God in their first game when we talked last week. And since then, they've dropped two to the Bucks, and it looks like they're just going to keep dropping. Um, and the Clippers have played their way back into the series. And I, which one of those do you think is, is more surprising, that Bud made an actual adjustment that was successful or that uh, Paul George is just turning that playoff P to 11? I think like Darvin Ham made the adjustment, but <laughs> when you look at Bud on the on the sideline, like is he always frozen in that confused look? Like he looks around, like what the heck? He's always got his like his collars all messed up. I mean, he's a mess, man. So, uh, you know, the Bucks are just a better team, and the matchup because Atlanta relies on those long threes in a lot of ways. Those long threes, when they don't go in, turn into long rebounds, and it just catapults the Bucks into their transition offense. And especially with Giannis, they're almost unstoppable when they get in transition. And in the first game, they didn't have Chris Middleton playing well, and now they got him playing well. It, I just don't think the, the, the Hawks are going to win another game. So can you talk, and, and if, if I'm putting you on the spot here, you let me know, but can you talk about why a long rebound in the Warrior system when they were running that was good? Like you could usually chase down long rebounds, but why against the Bucks specifically is that kicking off their transition offense? Why are the Bucks able to get to those longer rebounds faster than Atlanta? Well, I think it's two things. One is that the the Bucks are just a great transition team. So mm-hmm. you know you're being generic about talking about the Warriors because we're not giving the scenario of who they were playing against. It's also that the Warriors were significantly, significantly better defensively than the Hawks are. The Hawks are a bottom 10 defense and they've been piecing it together throughout the playoffs. And, uh, you know, it it showed against Philly who had some issues in the half court, which was a problem kind of all year. They also in a way played four on five because of our friend Ben Simmons. 
Um, Tobias didn't play very well. And so, you know, it, it made the Hawks defense look a little bit better than they really are. Um, but the Warriors were always a good defensive team. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you're, if you're Steph, Cur- Steph Curry or you're Clay Thompson, you're firing up that long three, you have to have guys getting back. And, and you see that with Miami, you know, Miami doesn't really attack the offensive glass. So when you're taking those long shots, if you drop back and you're, you're willing to not get those offensive rebounds, maybe you send one guy to the glass or the closest guy to the glass, but if you're getting everybody back, then you can build that wall. And sometimes that's not enough against Giannis because like you said, Nick Chubb, he's going downhill and just barreling through people. And it's, it's hard to build that wall. Um, It's, he's just that type of player. And so it's, it's not ideal because the Hawks have to do it. They can't try to play half court, uh, slow game or inside game. They just can't win that game. The Bucks are too good offensively, too good defensively. And that's probably why they might win the championship in a way. Um, yeah. The, the, it's the length. Like the, to me, that's the, the biggest component that the thing you'll hear a lot is that Daryl Morey kind of changed the way that basketball is played in this era. And the math you hear about math a lot, like, Three's worth more than two, but it's a lot deeper than that. There's also when you shoot a three, if it doesn't go in, the ball is going to bounce high and, and far, which gives you a much better opportunity to grab an offensive rebound. But the bucks are so damn long and, and so athletic. It, even if the ball bounces far, they can grab it. Like they can reach out, grab it, or they can run it down a lot faster than the perimeter guys. And plus Trey shooting that thing from a parking lot. So sometimes he's got a far way to go to try and grab a rebound. So that, that math doesn't really work as much in this series, which is interesting. Um, I, I think they went out and they haven't even went to the adjustment that I think really puts them over the top, which is taking broke off the floor and, and playing him less with Bobby Portis uh, on. I, I think that changes the whole dynamic. And, and if Atlanta starts firing back, that's the move I go to. I think that puts him in the coffin. Before we move on, John Collins, Nate McMillan, he got his fourth foul, and he sent him, I don't know where. Did he go get lemon pepper wings for Lou Will? Like, he was out for so freaking long. Maybe Nate didn't know that we weren't playing high school rules, and you don't get five fouls, you get six fouls. But he protected him to the point that it was about six minutes, I feel like, when the game that he came back in. And right at the five-minute mark is when Chris Middleton just went berserk and just knocked down shot after shot after shot. And I remember right at the five-minute mark, Chris Middleton hit a shot. I think the Bucks took the lead on that shot, and I was like, game's over. He, he held Collins out way too long. He had to gamble and say, you know what, if he gets his fifth, I'll pull him. But to protect him, like, is he really going to get two fouls in the last six minutes? Potentially. But I think he held him so long that, especially when Trey got hurt, I think – I don't think the Bucs were going to lose that game, but I think Nate really made a mistake in that situation. Yeah, this is the weirdest thing that we've we had to experience in Miami. Like Bud is actually coaching really well right now, and he's out coaching his opponents. Um, and the, the decision by Nate to not feel the momentum and what that moment meant and going down to one as opposed to, you know, really competing to try and go up to one. Yeah. It, it was it was poor and he's going to suffer. And I don't think they can get that momentum back. I actually think they lose out because um, the Bucks, the, the, the Bucks adjustment was more execution, like doing what they did in game one, just better 
They still haven't made the actual adjustment that plays Atlanta off the floor, in my opinion, which is Bobby Portis. So I, th- I think they're done. And that's a great, a great moment right there for when it slipped, when it fell apart. Yeah. And, you know, if we flip over to the Clippers series, what do you feel about that? I mean, now it's 3-2. I, I'm kicking myself because the first two series, I bet Clippers when they were down 0-2 to win the series, and I forgot mm-hmm. to bet it yesterday before uh, that game. And now it's 3-2. It's going back to L.A. If L.A. wins at home, it's 3-3. A game seven, anything can happen. And we know the history of Chris Paul with being at 3-1. He even mentioned it. So. Do you think the Suns can get it done? Can they finish it out in six? Is it going to go to seven? No, I think they finished out in six. Um, the game was here for them to win. I mean, honestly, the game was here for both teams. This was the, the last game was not fun. <laughs> it was really like a slog to watch, and yeah. it was terrible offensively. But they had a chance to kind of get this game and and put it away and. They, it's just Paul George is a really, really, really good basketball player. He's really, really good at basketball. And uh, Reggie Jackson coming on is is something that no one expected. And he's come on every night. So the, I just, I don't, I don't think they can replicate what they did in the fourth quarter again. Um, they've done it now two games straight. And Paul George has been amazing. And I actually continue to expect him to keep them playing and, and alive. But I don't expect Reggie Jackson to give you super valuable minutes. I don't expect Boogie Cousins to give you 12 minutes and and the production that he gave you. Um, I don't I don't think that a lot of those things are uh, reoccurring. So I think tomorrow's their, or whatever they play next, that's their last game. How do you feel about my take that Reggie Jackson is Kendrick Kendrick Nunn with 10 years experience in sunglasses? Hmm. I don't think Reggie Jackson is worth a shit. He is irrational confidence guy. He's playing he's very, well. Yeah. I give him all the credit in the world. But this Kendrick Nunn does the same stuff. And Reggie Jackson made his career coming up on bad teams, and now he's on a good team. I think Reggie Jackson is Kendrick Nunn in 10 years with some weird Rexpec type of visor superhero things on his eyes. I like Reggie's. It's funny because you're making me do this. I like Reggie's build more as a player. So if I'm just seeing the two of them on a like a a court, I'm probably still picking Reggie. But their skill sets so similar. They both attack downhill. They can pull up. Um, Reggie is Reggie a little more athletic? Do you think? Probably more athletic. And he's a free agent. And I saw. Oh God! I saw people like, "Oh, Reggie Jackson should be our starting point guard if we don't get Kyle Lowry." And I, I just, I Let's actually see. threw, I threw my phone across the room. It pissed me off. This is this is my thing about like this is what got Bismack Biombo paid, you know. Oh, you mean you mean like signing Cameron Payne to a uh, a large contract based on his playoff performance? Exactly. It there these players are who they are, and we've known what Reggie Jackson's been in the league for forever. He's a streaky scorer. That's what he is. He does that really well, and that's why he's going to get paid somewhere because he can score, but. We need him to be our starting point guard if we bring him in. And he's he's not that. I mean, I would rather roll Tyler back out there at point guard and have him dribbling balls off his ankles. And it's funny because you bring Tyler up last year. How great was he in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And we want to send him out of town. Meanwhile, these guys are having good series. I give them all the credit in the world. But 
we're going to buy into that, but we sell. Oh, oh, you know why? Because it was in Orlando. Because there weren't fans there. Like, come on now. I, I don't buy that. I, well, well, Tyler just also had his best statistical regular season. So, I mean, I, I don't buy that either. That's ridiculous. So Tyler had a better season this year than he had last year playing. So, And did you see how the impact of Joel Embiid's, um, I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend having a baby. He just had his almost MVP season. So I think Katya having a baby is going to turn Tyler Hero into an all-star. You heard it here first. It, it turned Fred Van Fleet into a max. Like it. Anything's possible, man. That's what you come to the two for one for. We understand the analytics of how babies will impact your life as an NBA player. I want to take this time to specifically thank the three Milwaukee fans that, without fail, DM me and uh, pop into my mentions every time they win. So I want to thank you guys. Uh, I know right now you are hyped up on Miller Lite. And uh, just for you, I got Miller Lite to be our official, unofficial sponsor for this week for the Super One podcast. So shout out Miller Lite. Um, I know you Milwaukee fans are, are just stuffed full of cheese and, and beer and probably constipated and looking at your bronze statue of the Fonz right now. So uh, go off, Milwaukee. I respect you as my co-host, but I like, uh, I like Miller High Life, champagne and beers. So I'm with the Milwaukee fans. Go at him. It's not Twisted Tapioca anymore. I forget what he changed it to, but go at Tony, him. Tony yeah. Schwartz NBA. Tony Schwartz NBA. Let's go ahead and get that in there. Did you? Five reasons tag. Go after it. We're turning it back into Feel the Heat. Did you just say <laughs> the champagne of beers? When there's literally a brand, Stella Artois is literally the brand of champagne of beer. That's what it's they crazy are. That I always have our sponsored stuff, like just sitting Why? around. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm a man of the people. I, I you know what? These are what, this is why the sponsors come to us because they like snoop around my little apartment and they're like, oh, Next week, it's going to be like Natural Light is going to be our sponsor. Natty Light. Hard cut. One podcast. Hard cut to me adding Cafe Bustello on Twitter and then being like, yeah, no, bro. We don't want you as a sponsor right now. Oh, man. Another week, another episode. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and thank you guys for being here. Thanks, guys.